Welcome to Give Theory a Chance. Our guest today is Anna Hickey Moody, a professor of media and communications at RMIT University and an Australian Research Council Future Fellow. Anna is also the author of the recently published Deleucean Masculinity. In our conversation, Anna discusses both the challenges and charms of Giles Deleuze and how she has built on the concepts of affect and assemblages in her own research on youth education, art, and community. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're really welcome. Thanks for having me on. So we're here today to talk about Giles Deleuze. Could you get us started by just giving us a short introduction to who he was or what he's known for? Deleuze is known, he's a French philosopher who died in 96, so he's fairly contemporary, and he's known most um, most prominently for his collaborative work for, with Guattari around capitalism and critiques of the way that capitalism has changed our value systems and our society. He started collaborating with Guattari after the May 1968 riots um, in France, which were big workers' protest riots, similar to the protests that are happening in France at the moment, that were really about living conditions and the unaffordability of, of life and the lack of recompensation for wage with, you know, workers that were really living under the poverty line but working full-time. And so there were there were big protests and coming off that protest and trying to really mobilise the social change that people were trying to initiate, Deleuze and Guattari wrote together. Guattari was a psychoanalyst and um, was interested in the psychodynamics of social formations. He had done a lot of work in in what what's called institutional psychotherapy. He was interested in the way that institutions change the way that we think. And by institutions, he was particularly interested in hospitals, but his thinking is also useful in terms of thinking about how schools or universities or any large institution makes our subjectivity a part of a bigger subjectivity. So it changes how we are in relation to both the institution and those that we're called to relate to every day. So Deleuze and Guattari came together to write these two books that were springing off the back of the Paris riots in 68, and they um, both have the subtitle of Capitalism and Schizophrenia, and they're, um, they're called Anti-Oedipus, Capitalism and Schizophrenia, and A Thousand Plateaus, Capitalism and Schizophrenia, and they went on to write another couple of collaborative works together. But Deleuze is a very established philosopher in his own right, and had published a lot before his collaboration with Guattari and continued to do so after the collaboration with Guattari. And some of the ideas that I'm going to talk about today come from his work, especially his work on art. Um, But he's written a lot about art and literature. So, So you can also sort of, you could focus just on his work alone. And he's certainly a prolific writer. Do you get a sense of how widely read his ideas are? Or I guess a, a more fair way to ask this is, do you have a sense of where his influence has extended in terms of disciplines? Uh, or, or is he someone who has really not escaped the confines of philosophy? Deleuze is an interesting philosopher because he's the most interesting work that is undertaken using his ideas is outside philosophy. So there is a lot of really interesting methodological work and theoretical work in sociology using Deleuze, particularly assemblage theory. The idea that we are all connected and that context changes how we can act is 
drawing, a lot of the time is drawing on Deleuze's ideas of assemblages, which are about the connections between people and places and objects and things being constitutive of a capacity to act. So a lot of the new methodological and theoretical turns in sociology are drawing on Deleuze's thought and his work on surfaces and the politics of surfaces, for example, has been quite influential in sociology. But he's a very interdisciplinary thinker. So he is studied within philosophy and I would say that he's not a huge name within philosophy, A, being contemporary, B, being a continental philosopher and there's quite a split within philosophy departments between the continental and the analytic divide, within which I would argue continental philosophy is slightly less popular. And he's thought about his work with Guattari being very politically focused and quite experimental isn't really read, it's read more as social theory than philosophy. So he's not a big name within philosophy, but he is outside. And there's quite a field of Deleuze studies, which I don't think is as interesting as some of the more applied projects within, for example, sociology or cultural studies that take Deleuze as a tool for understanding the world. And in in his very famous collaborations with Guattari in A Thousand Plateaus, he said, you know, this book, well, there was an, inter- an introduction by Foucault and Foucault says, this book is a toolbox and you need to take a concept like a tool and make it work for you. That quote has become very famous in the way that Deleuze is used in sociology, where a lot of the time people will find an animating concept. So the concept of smooth space or striated space, which is about kind of organisation or the concept of a body without organs, and will then animate data or a methodology through a particular concept rather than taking the philosophical corpus as a whole. And just one footnote on that, and I think that's, I think there are a number of reasons why it's probably better to work with Deleuze in an applied sense, is that while he has particular ideas that he refines over, his, uh, over the body of work, and so there are some ideas that I'm going to talk about that relate to affect or assemblage that he, he builds on, that they are ideas that develop and they articulate in slightly different work ways across his work. So he doesn't sort of say the same thing all the time and, to be honest, we'd be bored if he did. But his ideas are evolving and changing. So there isn't sort of one set position that he takes on anything. And I think that some of the work that is just reading Deleuze in a very narrow sort of not applied sense loses some of the political impetus that his work has. So I think it's really important when you're reading theory and working with theory to keep the question in your head of why does this matter now? Why does someone need to know these ideas now? Talking about the application of theory is really a perfect chance to switch over to thinking about your own intellectual journey. So when did you first become aware of Deleuze's ideas or or even more specifically, when did you first encounter his writing? It was very early on in my career when I started reading Deleuze. So I was beginning my PhD and really interested in what it means to be a body. So I did my PhD looking at a dance company of young people with and without intellectual disability. And I was really interested in how we can change dominant ways of thinking about disability. And in the dance company that I was looking at, there were completely new feelings and affects that were generated around disability through the work of these young people. And I was thinking, what can bodies do? 
And that is a very Deleuzean question you'll sort of go on to see. So I started, I was reading a lot of literature on the body and I was particularly interested in a lot of feminist literatures on the body. There's an amazing Australian feminist philosopher called Elizabeth Groggs, whose work I love. And she suggested that she thought Deleuze and Guattari's philosophy held a lot of promise. In She's written a very famous book called Volatile Bodies. And in that writing, the body is a very alive space. And so on Elizabeth Groz's suggestion, I went off to read Deleuze and Guattari. And they have a great sense of humour. They're very witty. And so their, their humour and the fact that they're, they're writing with you and they're not sort of speaking down to the reader at all. I found very grabbing. I find them very witty. And I'd read a lot of phenomenology and a lot of texts on the body that I found very dry and like I was being told what my body was or what bodies were. And I'm an empiricist and I could see what bodies were doing. And I, the answer was not in the book. The book was going to give me, you know, new ways of expressing potentially what I could see. And I saw that possibility in Deleuze and Guattari. They were speaking with me and, um, and were having a joke while they were doing it. In, in the books that I mentioned, Anti-Oedipus, it starts off talking about capitalism and using the analogy of um, the id, the Freudian id. And they say it's everywhere. It breathes, it eats, it shits, it fucks. And they're, they're talking about how capitalism sort of taking over. And so that kind of very down-to-earth and expressive writing is quite, it draws one in. And I think that, that as a young person, I needed to be engaged on that very sort of down-to-earth register. So I think that was initially sort of what, what dragged me in. And then it's very much like a puzzle that piques one's curiosity and sort of think, oh, what do they mean by that? But then in order to establish what they mean by that, one has to do a lot of reading. And so I ended up falling down the rabbit hole and reading a lot of what they'd written. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what it's like to do all that reading. And, and the reason I'm asking is I myself, when I pick up their work, I find that charm and I find that humor and I find those profound moments, but I also find myself lost and just trying to figure out what different terminology means or where a particular argument is going or, or why it's even appearing. I Yeah, I think that I had different levels of engagement with it. So like I said, I've got, uh, there's a sense of camaraderie in a lot of the reading that I, I really appreciate the registers they mobilize and I find them quite witty. But then other times I couldn't answer the why question. Why are you saying this? Why does this matter? And for me, a really important moment was reading a book called What is Philosophy, which is their methodology book. So Deleuze and Guattari's two uh, capitalism and schizophrenia books advance sort of a, a political theoretical agenda, but the ways they do that and their broader, their broader methodology for developing philosophy that brings together the sort of the social, psychological aspects of Guattari's thought and the much more sort of academic thinking that Deleuze is famous for or the, the philosophical thinking Deleuze is famous for is really mapped out in what is philosophy. And that's my favourite book that they've made together because it's very different from the capitalism and schizophrenia books, but it explains their methodology really carefully. And I have to say that with all their texts, they take a few reads. So they're not the kind of books that you read the first time and understand. 
they're the, they're the kind of book that you read the first time and then you think, oh, you have an understanding of that book, <laughs> like what, what parts are in it and you're not quite sure how to relate to the different parts. So they are a project and I would begin with what is philosophy because they explain the ways that they think about different disciplines of thought and in their chapter on philosophy, they sort of develop a theory of geophilosophy, which is a very um, a very kind of located and they, they develop a specific sort of theory of how they think philosophy works and they explain that in quite a lot of detail. That's not to say that what is philosophy is an easy read. I remember, I remember the house that I was renting at the time in Adelaide when I was reading what is philosophy and I remember looking at it and thinking, how can this book not make sense? I know that I'm great at reading books and I don't understand what the book is saying. You know, here I am with my PhD scholarship. And I remember repeatedly reading the book and I, my way of engaging with it was to take copious notes. And this was sort of in the days when the internet was a new thing and you could, you could book a time to send an email on a computer. So you'd go in, you'd turn it on and it would come up with the green writing and you'd practice writing your email. So it wasn't in the days when there were a million How to Read Deleuze books. And I knew that there was something in this book that I had to understand because it was a bit of a key to their philosophy. But it did take me, it took me a lot of being brave enough to not understand before I got to a point of understanding. What kept drawing you back? Because I know there's a lot of books that we don't understand, so we don't give it that second read. Or, or for that matter, we don't understand, so we don't even make it through the first read. But you kept returning and you kept giving it a chance until it made sense. So why? I think there were two things. If I'm completely honest, I think that stubbornness is a part of it with me. I think I was also interested, like I said, I like the fact that they are very, they're not condescending in their writing style. And um, so I really am very engaged with contemporary feminist philosophy and found a lot of the, the male philosophers writing on the body infuriating. And so there was something about their writing style that I could be with because it's very much like, you know, one is alone in a room with them for a long time. One is really listening to what they're saying and sort of speaking back to them. And so they, they write in a way that I found respectful enough. And, and also I'd be damned if I was going to not understand them. And, and so for my, my way of engaging with, is I'm a copious notes taker. So I would write, I wrote voluminous notes. And I remember really I read all of their collaborative works and quite a lot of Deleuze's work while I was doing my PhD. And I remember a, a range of different things happening in my life. And my brothers, you know, coming to see my dad was really sick and my brothers came to try and get me. And I didn't hear them knocking on my door apparently. And they were angry with me for not having answered the door when they knew I was home. And I had no, no memory of that having happened because I was busy reading and, and writing my notes and I was in my thinking world. So I do think one has to um, give oneself space to, to engage with the text on your own terms and maybe not judge yourself in that process, just get in there and develop a relationship to it. Is there a particular idea from Deleuze that has stuck with you more than other ones or has had perhaps a profound impact on where your own research has gone? Well, the idea that I've ended up using the most, which is partly because of the nature of my empirical work, which is around young people and art, is the idea of affect. And there's been, obviously, in sociology, a big turn to affect, and that's how Patricia Clough sort of characterised it in her famous 
book. And Deleuze has a particular philosophy of affect, which is to increase or decrease the body's capacity to act. And he takes that from Spinoza. And I've actually, I've read quite a lot of Spinoza and really engaged with Spinoza's philosophy through Deleuze, because that's the, that's the model of the body that Deleuze, that we find in Deleuze's work is a Spinozist model of philosophy. And Deleuze's books on Spinoza, which um, there's one called Spinoza Expressionism in Philosophy, and another one called Spinoza Practical Philosophy, both of which are really fabulous books for people that are interested in the body and writing about the body. And those books sort of lay out how he uses his very Spinozist ideas of the body, which are broadly this idea of the body in context that I've spoken about is very important. So how the people that we're with, how the assemblage of our body is remade every day in terms of the ideas we feed it in terms of the nutrients and the environment, it will increase or reduce our capacities to act. And I think, you know, we've all been in situations where things that we know we can do, we can't do all of a sudden. We're too shy or we're too nervous or we feel too awkward or there's there, there are things that are taking away what we what we know we can do. And then other times there are times when we exceed ourselves and we think, oh, wow, I just felt very confident and I ran that extra fast or I, you know, I performed really well. So that kind of unlocking of potential or the reduction of potential is what Deleuze is talking about with affect. But the affect is like the the building blocks that create the change. So he's trying to think about what it is that makes you able to do more or what it is, what mixtures make you reduce or increase your capacity to act so he's kind of it's like the algorithms of life and if you could think about all your environment as an algorithm and you are sort of like the the topping and that's what he's talking about with affect so he's talking about how the building blocks underneath you move to make what you can do greater or lesser and so I've been really interested in how popular culture and and creative practices increase or decrease young people's sort of knowledges and identities and ways of being in the world. Because a lot of the literature on youth is around, um, you know, either sort of mainstream consumption of popular culture or on schooling. And I think a lot of the very vernacular things that young people do around their creative practice and around things like youth groups or, you know, making art together, dancing and consuming sort of practices of vernacular creativity online, consuming and then reproducing content online, is kind of about them becoming more than themselves. They're becoming part of groups and they're having, a lot of the time I've written about this idea of little public spheres, young people being part having a citizenship that's sort of part of something bigger than themselves. And a lot of that happens affectively. So it's not necessarily cognitive. They're not consciously thinking, I'm going to go out there and have a political position. But over time, they iteratively develop a political position through joining together with others and increasing their capacity to act in, you know, creative endeavours through doing things together. A lot of what Deleuze is talking about with affect is the precognitive changes that are so important to making political movements. And when you're working with young people who are often responding to feelings, a lot of what's happening is precognitive and it's about feelings, it's about wanting to belong, it's about 
and unconscious identification. The idea of affect is really is the language they speak. It's uh, it's an embodied language, but it is still captures the language they speak. So for me, I've written a lot about affect and the fact that affect is pedagogical. It changes how people are in the world. My next question is a little bit abstract and almost it's almost trying to get at what we do with theory. So you have these ideas like affect, like assemblage, which clearly have shaped the direction that your research has gone. And what I'm wondering is, what do you do with those ideas? Is it about pushing back and correcting them and modifying them? Or is it more that you're working with those ideas and taking them into new places and, and extending them into areas that they had not gone before? I think, so I've written a lot about affective pedagogy, which is the idea that affects change culture and change us. And so the idea of affect is in there, but it's thinking about the change. And with young people, I suppose the cultures that young people are part of are core to how they learn. And I'm trying to make that really explicit. So it's not it's not thinking about, so pedagogy broadly as a theory of teaching and learning is only really written about in relation to school And I've written a lot about culture broadly as a pedagogical system. Um, And that also draws on Deleuze um, and Guattari's collaborative thinking. So Guattari's thinking about institutional pedagogies and the fact that schools and hospitals and governments are teaching us particular subject positions. And I argue in a similar way that affect is pedagogical, that systems of affect actually train bodies in particular ways of in, in comportment, in ways of feeling, in ways of presenting oneself and relating to others, and that these precognitive systems really need to be given more weight in terms of thinking about the production of young citizens, is that this affective pedagogy is a state regime, but it's also a political regime that young people have a lot of agency over and in precognitive ways um, develop quite... Um, you know, radical engagements with at times, but also at times, obviously, they acquiesce un- unknowingly to affective pedagogical regimes. So I'd say that this concept of affective pedagogy, it's something that I'm known for and I'm cited for, but it incorporates Deleuze's thought into it. You mentioned earlier that one of the ways that you engage with Deleuze and one of the ways that you even read the work was through this lens of feminist theory. I'm wondering if you could build on that a bit more to reflect on, are there particular theorists that you find work well with these ideas or in conversation with these ideas? Most recently, I mean, I still work a lot with different feminist theories and how they intersect with Deleuze. And that's that's my particular interest, partly because of the broader context of the academy, that if we look at um, how citations are generated, we see that men are cited 50% or even, you know, I think 90% more than women. There's a huge there's a huge gap between the amount of um, amount of women that are read and the amount of men that are read and cited. So I'm interested in how Deleuze can be used in relation to thinkers um, such as Julia Kristeva, who is really interested in abjection and the body and depression, and her work on sort of the ways in which cultural states are inhabited by bodies, the ways in which we somatize cultural movements, I think is Deleuze gives us some really interesting tools to think about. I've written quite a lot about Deleuze and Judith Butler 
And this is an unusual angle to take both for a Judith Butler scholar and a Deleuzean scholar. But my work on Butler and Deleuze has been quite popularly cited. So for those of for those listeners who don't know Judith Butler, she's written a lot about the performance of gender and the idea that gender is an iterative uh, citational practice. So we unconsciously learn how to cite gender performances and then, you know, within the margins that are made available, we moderate them. So whether or not, you know, we're taught to sit with our legs crossed and then decide that we're brave enough to sit without our legs crossed. Um, these kind of margins of change are what's available within the broader discursive structures of gender. And Butler writes a lot about this. And there are some parallels in terms of how Deleuze writes about assemblages that produce intelligible bodies and assemblages that produce um, intelligible discursive systems. And that's very closely aligned to what Butler's saying. Like there are some genders that there are ways that we aren't able to understand them. And so one might not identify with a whole sort of spectrum of gender performances that we're asked to fit in with, but there are ways of being seen outside outside this spectrum. And for, for Deleuze's work on assemblages offers a, a sort of philosophical system that's quite aligned with that, that we are, we are produced to a certain extent as an intelligible human subject. And so our agency is slightly limited because we still need to be read by others sort of as being human. We might believe that we're a plant or we might believe that we're, you know, Deleuze and Guattari famously say there are N sexes. There's an endless number of sexes, but we just can't, so society can't read or understand the endless number of sexes. So there are a number of ways in which I see broader parallels between the outcomes of what Deleuze and Guattari say and what Judith Butler says. And for a number of reasons, scholars don't like to think about their work together. And one of those reasons is a, a, a dead white man called Hegel, and they have very different relationships to Hegel. So Judith Butler is very famously Hegelian, and Deleuze and Guattari are very critical of Hegel. And my take on that is, you know, a lot of the genderqueer population who are experimenting with how they can be read in the world and might draw on these ideas, you know, might not care that much about Hegel. So do we need to worry about Hegel in this, in this theoretical mixture? So they've got very different sort of ontological bases, like what they believe, their, their epistemological and ontological bases are very different. But I think that the, the outcomes of their work uh, they're broadly you know, very left-wing philosophers that have some really useful ideas for thinking about identity politics. And so I think if we can step out of a sort of a philosophical mindset to think about the broader politics of ideas, there is the possibility for reading these two theorists together. I've got a book that's called Deleuze and the Pedagogy of Gender, Masculinity and Methodology, and that book treats Deleuze's ideas alongside Judith Butler's ideas and thinking about a contemporary philosophy of masculinity. And, and so that's one example of how we can bring the thinker thinking the thought of Judith Butler and Deleuze together in order to develop a contemporary philosophy of gender. And I would add, um, as the closing point on that, that Deleuze often talked about um, philosophical buggery. He says, you know, you need to sneak up on a theorist and take them from behind and, you know, invent 
invent bastard children that they didn't know they could have. And perhaps in that sentiment, maybe I think it's quite productive to read philosophers together in ways that they didn't necessarily intend, but the world might have use for. So your book on Deleuze and masculinity that recently was published serves as an interesting marker of sorts. And what I mean by that is you've been engaging with these ideas for a while now. Um, We can think about the initial moment where you discovered this work and you had to read it multiple times to, to get a sense of what was going on, but you've found something charming and compelling about it to this point now where you're making these new connections and are an expert on the subject. And and so I'm wondering if you could just reflect a little bit more about how your relationship with Deleuze has changed. So there's time in between. I think that's the main thing. There's time in living as an academic have really changed my relationship to theory is that I still love reading Deleuze and Deleuze and Guattari. And I think about those books as my friends. Um, But the way that I use those ideas has changed, and that's because of the economy of the academy, is that it's a very patriarchal place. Men are cited a lot more than women. Women's work on Deleuze is very rarely cited. Uh, There is a field of Deleuze studies that is primarily men citing Deleuze. And living for 22 years in that kind of patriarchal institution makes one very aware of the politics of citation. And so I will, as much as possible, cite women who work with Deleuze and think about the politics of citational practice. In the academy, there are, you know, particular rules around when one gets promoted in relation to citation counts. And they are explicitly sexist systems that hold women back. And it makes one, you know, prefer to read Deleuze and Guattari in one's own time but not cite them is what I would say shortly, is that I think that especially Deleuze studies as a very masculinist field where you see keynote after keynote as the white man with perhaps the token woman, but the token woman who is not broadly cited within the field makes one very disillusioned. Considering the challenge that that presents, this patriarchal system that has been built up around Deleuze's ideas, uh, considering the complexity of the ideas themselves and some of the terminology and examples that, that you find within the pages. Uh, for that matter, considering how difficult it is for, for me to say Deleuze's name correctly, what would you tell someone about why they should engage with this work? So someone who has never picked up one of these books, uh, one of these articles before, and is thinking about making that effort, what would you tell them? As a philosophical system or set of ideas, Deleuze and Guattari are interested in looking at what's happening in the world and extrapolating from empirical events. So that's why they're interesting, is that they're not telling you how things are. They're asking you to look at how things are and and talk about the significance of how things are. So they're giving you sort of sets of ideas that can help you better extrapolate contemporary politics or better understand how things are working. They're trying to sort of support your engagement with the lived and with the everyday. And so they're not they're not dictating, they're trying to enable. So I'd remember that is the broad sense of how they're going about things is to encourage writing about empirical lived culture. And I'd also say that 
especially if you're reading in America, they are coming from a different culture. And I think developing the skills to be with difference is a, a very translatable resource that you will develop. So some of the cultural reference points won't be known. And I certainly learned a lot about about French culture and about sort of a European world that was slightly before my time. But I think that capacity for translating the cultural significance of events is an empathy that will sit with you um, and enable you to work with and understand difference in very productive ways. I believe I said that was going to be the last question, but I would hate to miss out on this opportunity. So if there are people who are looking to explore this intersection between Deleuze and gender, are there particular scholars that you would recommend? And obviously, one of the great places to start is looking at your articles, looking at your book that was recently published. But outside of that, are there other people that you would say this this is a really good starting point? Oh, there are lots of really fabulous writers. So Rebecca Coleman at Goldsmiths writes a lot about bodies and the ways that we experience our body in relation to screens and in relation to contemporary cultural formations. Um, Carolyn Pedwell at the University of Kent writes about habits and the ways in which our bodies become habituated to different cultural formations. Uh, Kat Junichel, who's also at Goldsmiths in, in London, writes about uh, clothing and the ways that we are remade in relation to dress. So there are lots of really interesting feminist theorists who take up ideas that are in Deleuze's work and then think about why that matters now. And I think even if if you're a scholar who hasn't read a lot of feminist theory or who doesn't identify as a feminist, I think there's an ethics of engagement that you can take to Deleuze's work around why does it matter now that will keep his ideas interesting. If you keep thinking why does this idea matter now, it's not about who under, understands his ideas better because his ideas change in the different books that he's written. You see the same idea appear in a slightly different way and it changes. And so everyone's understanding of it will be slightly different. Within a broad parameter, there will always be as many readers of Deleuze as there are will have as many different takes on Deleuze as are possible. So it's going. To, it's an iterative practice. So you need to think, why does Deleuze matter now? What can I do with Deleuze? How can I understand the present better through Deleuze? So you need to keep drawing away from having one right answer or being a better scholar than somebody else to think about the use of your theory and the use of Deleuze's ideas today. And I think that's what feminist scholars do so well but I think that there's a broader ethics of engagement that's in that project that you can take into, you know, thinking about Deleuze and geography or he's got some amazing theories of space and time that you can use to think about the way that bodies are distributed, Deleuze and cultural formations, Deleuze and politics or Deleuze and gender as I've, or Deleuze and art. So there's a whole range of ways in which you can use his thinking to reinvigorate contemporary cultural studies and sociology. Perfect. I, I, I think that's a wonderful place to end. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, look, thanks for having me on. I'm um, really glad to get the chance to talk to you about these interesting ideas. Appreciation goes to Jeffrey Gilbert for providing our theme song, undergraduate sociologists Alicia Rios and Simone Graham for their help with the project, and most importantly, on behalf of me, Kyle Green, thank you for giving theory a chance.